Okay, we are. <laughs> it's a very. It's going to be a very intense day. Would you just mind uh, standing with me in honor of God's word? Romans chapter twelve. I'm just going to I'm going to hit on a few verses here. The first one is verse 14, Romans 12:14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, I thank you for each one of these precious, precious children of God. Lord, we live in a culture right now that is slowly being overtaken by darkness and evil. You have raised your church up to be the answer, to be the light in the midst of the darkness, yet many in the church are succumbing to darkness. Lord, the funny thing is we can't fix everybody. But we can honestly look into our own hearts. We can honestly deal with darkness that is trying to encroach on our lives. We can be part of your answer. We can be part of the good that overcomes evil. So, Lord, I just pray that you would have liberty here today with each one of us. Please, God, please do something. Do something in each of us. We love you. We praise you. We welcome you. You are safe. You love us completely. You like us as we are. We've come here as we are. Now, Lord, help us to not hide from your dealings. Help us to expose our hearts to you, God. Hide me behind your cross, I pray. And we'll give you all the glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're talking about thinking right. Um, This is part four in this mini-series within Romans 12. Today is entitled, Thinking Right About Those Who Don't Like You. Point one, when we become his children, we take his name. I I just don't know that there's anything greater than being known and, and having confidence that I'm a beloved child of God, 
that I am favored by God, that I am in the family, that, that in view of Christ's mercy and all that he's done for me and my just childlike faith in Christ, that I get placed into the family, no longer a slave to fear, no longer performing for acceptance, but I'm in, I'm accepted, I'm loved. I don't know that there's just a greater um, truth. And to be able to say, as Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father, that we would be the children of God. Behold, such love as this, that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. What an amazing thing to be able to call God our own Father, to be able to have that inheritance. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. The Lord's Prayer moves on to say, Hallowed be your name. That when you get adopted into the family, you take his name. You give up your own name. It's no longer, not to us, not to us. It's no longer about your name. You take his name. You are, you and I are now representatives of his name and, and we are to pray, hallowed be your name. The implication is, is through my life. That your name would be honored, that your name would be held holy, that as people observe me, that they will, they will honor you. This is where it gets really, really thorny. Because listen to what God says about what his children look like. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 47. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Now, because of the context of the NAS, it's a little unclear. One of the other translations brings it out. It's so you not, it's not so you can become the children of God, but so you can prove yourself to be the children of God. This is, this is what the children of God look like. They look like the parent. And God loves his enemies. God loves those who are against him. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. So to prove ourselves to be children of God so that it's evident that we're the children of God, we have to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. This is troubling. This is very troubling. That Jesus would actually say in this text that we can't use as the proof of our Christianity our love for those who love us. We cannot conclude we're loving people because we love those who love us, because we love our family, because we love our friends, that that is not proof that we're the children of God. Tax collectors and sinners, overt sinners, do the same. That where the rubber hits the road, where you actually find out 
if you are loving, if you are in, as far as his name, you have to look at how you treat those who are against you. So this gets, this gets difficult, especially when you actually live this thing out. The mark of the children of God is they are not entitled to be treated in a certain way. The command from Jesus is to love other people. And it's actually in the context here of even though they treat you bad. There is no command in Christianity that says, make sure you're treated right. Make sure that nobody dishonors you. Make sure that nobody's against you. Make sure that nobody treats you as if you don't have value. No, it's actually implied here. No, no, they're going to treat you bad. They're going to hate you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to gossip about you. Christianity doesn't deal with how others treat you. And Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Don't expect to be treated a certain way. The command is you need to love other people. So, it's been kind of a difficult week for me because I I feel like for this to be real, I I just have to tell you my process. And, And it's not like you deal with this once or twice, but this is where it became very, very real to me. When we came to Madison... I was, in 2007, I was absolutely blindsided. We, we came to Pastor Man City Church. Um, those that had asked us to come, um, we just thought we were coming and they wanted us to be here. And, and so we, we left a very safe and easy place and we came to Madison and it turned out that there was some on the, that, that had actually invited us, didn't want us there. We get here, they didn't, we thought they wanted us here. They invited us to come here. We left everything to come here, but there were some that didn't want to want us here. And, um, they were, there were two groups. There was there were some that resented us being here and that somehow it, they just didn't want us here. And then there was another group, this is in leadership, that they didn't, they just, they just ignored, they ignored me. They, they had a theology that was very different. They didn't believe in leadership. They believed in that Jesus is the leader and everybody's just the same. So their vision was as good as my vision. So the very, the very fact that I had a vision and then I felt like we should do this, it was like a suggestion and they're everything. So, so I've got this, this thing going on and, and we're, we're here and I'm just feeling so vulnerable. I'm feeling betrayed. I'm feeling dishonored. I'm feeling ignored. And I'm dealing with these feelings day in and day out. So uh, it becomes clear this is not... This can't work long term, and so there's a movement within the church to start another church. And... uh,
And the Lord speaks to me. From, uh, from Genesis. And, and it was such an amazing thing that God spoke to me because I just, I don't think I could have made it. This word sustained me through everything because it didn't just tell me what to do. It told me what the result was going to be. And, 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 and the word was from Genesis 13 where, um, Abraham has left everything. Abraham has stepped out in faith. He's obeyed God. And Lot, who is his nephew, has just gone along. He hasn't taken any risks. He hasn't done any of the hard work. He's just come along. He's just come along with Abraham. And as they have prospered together, Lot's herdsmen start arguing with Abraham's herdsmen. And Abraham sits down with Lot and he says this, listen, we're living in the land of the Canaanites. Canaanites are all around us. Let's not fight in front of the Canaanites. Lot, you take whoever you want and you choose whichever way you want to go and I just release you. And so so Lot does that and then God speaks to Abraham and he says, uh, look around Abraham, everything that's left is going to be blessed. And, and the Lord just said, just release them. And so, so that's what we did. And it, it, it was not a church plant. It could not be a church plant because it was a totally different type of church. They didn't even believe the same things we believed about leadership. So they could go ahead and do whatever they wanted to and But it wasn't a church split either. Because God was saying, there's something more important than what you think would be right or wrong, and that's my name. And what you're doing, you're doing in front of the entire city. My name is the most important thing, and it's up to you to make sure this isn't a church split. It wasn't a church plant, it wasn't a church split, it was a church start. And we were to give them full range. Take whoever you want to take. And uh, I remember, I remember the morning that um, their leadership had Sunday morning to preach and to just give the where they were going, what they were doing, what it was going to be called, the whole thing. And um, it was. This is the spring of two thousand eight, and and there was so much excitement. People were frankly were tired of everything Mad City was doing. We were setting up, taking down. We were all tired, and so this this is something new. It's something fresh. My daughter Christina is standing next to me or sitting next to me in the service, and she turns to me and says. Dad, I don't know who would not go be part of this new church. It's my own daughter. Um, thank you, Christina. Thank you for that observation. I go to national convention. It's, it's, it's spring, and, and uh, while I'm there, I be, just become so angry at the injustice and... and and I'm th- I, I, in my mind, I want to cut them off. I want to, because we're, we're the ones paying their salary. And, and up till this point, it was assumed that we would keep paying their salary through the whole next year. And, but they're doing something wrong. They're doing something we're against. They're doing something da 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 da. And the Lord just brought this back. He said, I said, release them 
bless them. And then I will be able to bless everything that's left. And it was then that God said, God, I feel so dishonored. I feel so betrayed. I feel so... And the Lord said, when did I ever tell you to make sure you're treated in a certain way? (laughs) Guys, entitlement is our enemy. Entitlement that I am something and I need to be treated as something and I am... No, no, watch out. You want to know what Christianity, we singing about the cross. Isn't it easy to sing about the cross? Let me tell you what the cross is. You lay down your sense of entitlement. You lay down your right to be treated in a certain way. Favored sons and daughters. Because we're willing to do hard things. We're willing to make it about his name instead of our name, his kingdom instead of our kingdom, his will instead of our will. It's part of it. Point two, the road into darkness. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, let's start here. Paul's writing to Christians. This is the the church at Rome. Christians can be overcome by evil. You need to recognize this. You need to recognize there's evil out there, there's evil out there, there's demonic evil, and there's still evil in here. There's still a sin nature in you. There's actually something in you that responds to the demonic. And you can be overcome by it. Paul says, don't be. Jesus said the same thing. He turns to his disciples and he says uh, in Matthew chapter 6, 23, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Your eyes are what you think about. Your eyes, if you start thinking about the wrong thing, if you start, instead of renewing your mind, you take on what the world's thinking is and how the world looks at people that don't like them, then you are going to become dark. So I want to talk about the path into darkness because it doesn't happen all at once. Here's the first step into darkness. This is one path into darkness. There's actually several, but I can't talk about them all today. But I'm going to talk about this path. Anger. It starts with anger. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun set on your anger. So it all starts with something good. The something good is this. That you and I are in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. And there is something when we are healthy, emotionally healthy people, when we see an injustice, we become angry. If you can no longer be angry, 
some other type of darkness has you. Either fear is, is running you or sorrow is running you or some something else. Because God made us in his image. God hates injustice. And when we see injustice, it should cause something to rise up in us. Which is why Paul says, be angry. But know this about anger. It is very easy to sin in anger. And the number one way is to let the sun set on your anger. So this is where it starts. I'm angry. There has been an injustice. And instead of dealing with it, processing it before God, I let the sun set on it. I, in my sense of justice, I take the right to be angry and I go to bed. Two things happen at night. When you wake up the next morning. First, um, verse 27 Don't let the sun set on your anger. Do not make an opportunity for the devil. It turns out that the devil's been looking for an opportunity to get into your life, to get into your marriage, to get into your home. He actually can set up a fence. He is the author of all injustice, and he wants to take your sense of justice, and he wants to imprison you by it. And trust me, if you put a door, uh, a sign out to the devil that says, welcome here, he will come in. You say, well, I just don't think that's true. I don't, I don't think God would ever allow that. Oh, trust me. Trust me. God will allow it. Well, why would God ever allow I'll tell you why. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, this is how it works. There's a guy that owes the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is so insanely... Um, uh, the weight of, of the whatever it is, gold or silver, it's millions and millions in our money, billions of dollars. 10,000 talents is an amazing amount of money. And he owes this to the king. And the king has mercy on him. And then this guy goes out and he owes, somebody owes him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is a few dollars in comparison. And instead of forgiving this guy, he chokes that guy and demands payment. And so the king finds out about it, becomes very angry at the guy he forgave, and says, uh, turn him over to the torturers. That doesn't sound good. Well, praise God, it's just a parable. Yeah, except for the next verse. So verse 34 says, take this one and turn him over to the torturers. Here's 35. So will your, your heavenly father, this is a child of God, do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Who are the torturers? Demons. Dark, you, you, you get into Darkness. So, starts with anger that, does, that you don't process. Then it becomes an opportunity for demonic activity. And then with that is the other thing that happens when, it, when the sun sets is a root of bitterness starts to grow inside of you. Bitterness is different than anger. 
Anger is something that's a, a result of the promise of, uh, or the image of God in us when we see injustice. Bitterness is when we refuse to give our anger back to God. We refuse to process our anger to God and choose to hold on to it. So the next morning, a root of bitterness starts, a seed. Uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen. see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So here's what happens. You hold on to your right to be angry because what happened to you was not right or what happened to somebody else was not right. What happened in the world was not right and you are angry. You hold on to your anger. You've made a place for darkness and now there is this, this seed planted in you called bitterness. And what happens in bitterness is you go from being angry to becoming an angry person. You, when you're angry, it's because of something that person did or that, that something wrong that happened in the world. But when that bitterness comes, you become angry and you end up defiling a number of people that were never part of the original equation. Now everybody's paying. Because you held on to your anger. Your children are paying for it. Your spouse is paying for it. Your employees or employer is paying for it. Because you have become angry and now you've got something growing in you. Now, it's just like planting anything. The easiest time to get it is right away. You recognize it's there. You go in and pull that puppy out and it's not an issue. The longer it's there, the harder it is to get out. But we'll talk about getting it out here in a moment. And then the number one way we hurt people or defile others is by speaking in anger. This is uh, Matthew chapter 5, 22 and 23. Jesus is talking to the, to, to the religious people and he said, you guys have said that, it's, that, that what the law says is you shall not murder. And Jesus says, let me tell you a little more about what that means. Because you're content that you haven't killed anybody. Let me tell you what that means. If anybody holds on to their anger, they are murdering in God's eyes. And when you speak and say, you fool, when you speak and say, you idiot, when you speak and you, you, you take your tongue and you speak out of that anger, you are guilty before a holy God as if you've murdered and worthy to go to hell. It's easy to speak when we're angry, isn't it? It's kind of fun. You know, I, I got this in me and I want to I wanna vent it and I want to I wanna get it out. And the whole idea is this, is maybe if I, if I say what I want to say, that I won't be angry anymore. That's not how it works. You say it, you say what you want to say, you know, you've hurt somebody else, you've seen somebody else be hurt, and now you, you, th- that darkness keeps, it keeps growing. So, we live in the age of the internet and 
chat rooms and, and the, the, the new thing in vogue, there's kind of been a kickback because for a while it was that we all need to be politically correct. We can't have an opinion about anything because you might hurt somebody and da, da, da. So now there's this backlash of, um, I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm going to say whatever I want to say. This is America. People died for this. I'm going to say whatever I want to say. Folks, I am not calling you and God is not calling us to be politically correct. He is calling us to be something called kingdom correct. Okay. Let's talk about... what goes on in our oftentimes when a person is bitter and they're angry you know where they like to talk not to the person to somebody else you know why the internet is such a great tool to vent hatred is because there's no accountability for it you can go under some pseudonym you can say whatever you want to say and there is you don't have to go face to face with anybody. Dear God, help us. Keeping our unrighteousness, our, keeping our right to be angry leads to unrighteousness. This is James 1.20. The righteousness of man, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let's talk for a moment about the Lord of the Rings. So there's this ring of power that controls the other nine and the the ring of power is discovered and Sauron, who's the evil Lord, wants that ring so he can control everything, but the, the good guys have the ring. The question is, what do you do with the ring? And so they have this council, and Boromir, who is the man, the representative of men in the council, Aragorn is actually there too, but he's, it's him and Aragorn are the two men. Boromir says this, here's what we need to do. We've, the enemy has given us a gift. We need to take the ring, and we need to use it against him. Duh. And Gandalf says, no. Whoever uses this ring, because it was forged in evil, will eventually become evil. You will start off using it to do right and in the name of doing right. But in the end, you will actually become Sauron. That's how this thing works. I'm not going to tell any more of the movie because I don't want to ruin the ending for you. (laughs) This is... This is America today. Now, I'm going to to tell you what the ring is. I'm going to tell you what the ring of power is today. Here's the ring of power. Unprocessed anger. 
Anger that you have not processed before God, you haven't given it back to God, you haven't dealt with it between you and God, you have held on your anger, this is the ring of power today. Now, Pastor Tom, what on earth are you talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The idea, anger is a tremendous engine of motivation. The idea that I can rise up in my anger against injustice and I'm going to let my anger fuel my actions and my motivations and and we're going to confront this injustice and we're going to turn it around. Actually, that is why God made us this way is so that we would wake up to injustice and say, I'm going to do something. But if we do that something in anger and not process that anger, God awakened us to do something. Now we need to process our anger with him so that we can do what is supposed to be done, when we don't process it, we become part of the problem while trying to bring the solution. Pastor John, what are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. So here's what's going on in our country right now. We have some black people that are very angry at white people because of injustice. We've got some women they're very angry at men because of legitimate injustice. And certainly, the injustices that, that blacks are angry about is legitimate. What, what, okay, what else? Oh, okay, here we go. We have got Democrats that are just angry at Republicans. And in their own minds, it's very justified to be that angry. And we have Republicans that are just furious at Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party and feeling very justified to be angry and our country's being stolen from us. We have Christians that are angry at Muslims or at atheists. We have pastors that are angry at their congregation. I know that one really well because I I never even knew it, but in years past, I was just angry. I was just angry. We needed revival. Nobody wanted revival. I wanted revival, but everybody else didn't. It was just horrible. Horrible to live under it. Okay, let's let's get real. There are spouses that are very angry at one another. Is this what they signed up for? They are disappointed. They thought it was going to be this, this, and this. And this is how I'm being treated. Do you see where entitlement gets in there? And I'm just, I'm just angry. We got to pay the bills. Got to stay together because of the kids but we're angry. Parents, angry at their children. Oftentimes, older parents are angry at their children because all that you do for your kids can create the sense of entitlement. My kids owe me. I change their diapers. I wipe those snotty little noses. We did this for them. We did this for them. And this is how they're treating us. 
They don't even visit. They don't even send a card at Christmas. Okay? Let's get real. Children that are angry at their parents. They were supposed to protect me. They were supposed to love me. They were supposed to believe in me. And they hurt me. They abused me. They were drunks. They or they didn't come to my games. They were too busy. They were too this. They were too that. They were too that. And this sense of entitlement of how I should have been treated and how I was treated creates this darkness that creates this engine of motivation. Our, our land is filled with this right now, guys. It's just absolutely filled with it. The difficulty is if you live in it long enough, you, you so anger and this sense of injustice becomes so part of you that it's hard to let go of it because I'd be letting go of me. If I let go of all of my injustices and all the things that have been happening to me, I would lose me. Yet that's the point of the gospel. Yet you do lose you. That's what Jesus said. You need to take up your cross. On the cross, Jesus laid down his rights freely because he loved the Father and he loved us. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. And Jesus invites us today in view of his mercy, in view of what he's done, in view of the 10,000 talents that you and I owe him. We, we, we all know we're generally sinners and that, yeah, I'm not perfect. Guys, it's way worse than that. In view of a holy God, we're, we're not like a little short. We're not a few sins short of being right with God. We're, we're, the chasm is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's deceptive because you can look around and find people that you think you're better than and even people that call themselves Christians and, well, praise God, I'm better than they are. Guys, that's no righteousness. You being a little better than somebody else. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He is calling us to receive his forgiveness that he freely gives. And then he's calling us to lay our anger down and become part of the solution. You want to know why we're having so much trouble in America with the church right now? It's because a lot of Christians are part of the problem. Instead of overcoming evil with good, we're being overcome. We're propagating anger. We're propagating bitterness. We're propagating division. We're propagating fear and hatred. And so do you know how confusing that is when people come to church and it's dark in the church when they expect it to find... I mean, it's just, it's just really difficult. Do you want to know why young people don't want to come to church anymore? They're, they've given up on church. They've seen the church and they're like, I don't think so. I don't think that's the answer. Trust me, it is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is building a church. And he says this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates, the gates was where the, 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 the city council made their strategies. Gates are strategies. Hell has a strategy. John Bevere wrote a whole book on this called The Bait of Satan. The bait of Satan is to get you offended, to get you entitled, to get you in the sense of injustice so that you bite it and you hook and he can hook you. Satan can hook us with darkness. And he's just really clever. 
So the Bible says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. So that's what we're doing today. There is a way out of this thing. It's called grace. No matter how angry, bitter, upset you are, maybe you're in three of the categories. In fact is, if you're in one, you usually get in another. It always starts out with, I I love everybody in the whole world except this one person. And then it's funny, that list gets bigger and bigger of who you don't like. So let's talk about overcoming evil with good. Praise God. Point two is over. (laughs) Forgive those who do evil to you. How? First, in view of his mercy toward you. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. This requires honesty in the presence of God. Don't make excuses for people that sin against you. Call it sin. Tell God you're angry. David told God he was angry all the time. David is the man after God's own heart. God doesn't, you don't have to fake it for God. God, I'm not angry. They beat me up. They betrayed me, but I'm not angry. Stop it. Be honest before God. God, I want to kill them. I want to I want to take their I, I mean I'm not even going to go into the graphics that David describes of how angry he gets at his enemies. But by the end of those psalms, he's processed with God. And he's come through and he got into the presence of God and all of a sudden he's he goes back to worship. Forgive in the presence of God. Secondly, turn them over to God's justice. God is not asking us to give up on justice. He just says, don't take your own, make your own justice. Leave room for God's justice. You forgive, you give it over, you don't do evil for evil, you don't give room for God's justice. God is the judge of the whole earth. He is just. He will do what is right. And here's how God's justice works. In God's justice, the bad guy, we're all, in some, in some ways, we're rebels, because we've agreed with pure evil, but pure evil isn't people, it's, it's demons, it's devils. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against demonic powers. So God's justice is this, is that Jesus died for everybody on the cross. He's got mercy for everybody. When you kick back against your enemies, do you know what your enemies do? They respond to you. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Why? Because when you give a gentle answer, there's no one to fight with, so they have to deal with it before God. And the Bible says that God sends these heaping coals upon their head. That's not something bad. That's, that's called repentance. That's called conviction. When we trust God to be judge, we, he can start working in people, other cultures, other... God is really good at this thing. And whatever justice doesn't happen in this life, we'll talk about this next week, The Bible says at his second coming, Jesus is going to bring perfect justice. There will be justice on this earth eventually, but only Jesus can bring it. By the grace of God is third. 
The grace of God resisted in the past that produced a doorway for the devil and a seed of bitterness can be re-embraced, can be accessed. God does not live in time. God can go back to the place. If you'll just own that I got bitter here, I got bitter here, I got bitter here. Jesus, who is the I am, can go back there. He can take this grace of God and he can pull it up with you. I'll just tell you how it works. Most people have a general sense that I'm a sinner and they get this message comes out and yeah, Lord God, I've sinned, forgive me. That's like mowing dandelions. It's a very surface thing and it's just, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I need to be forgiven, forgive me. And, and we're gonna mow those dandelions and everybody that's mowed a dandelion knows, you know it while you're doing it. This is a shortcut. This is gonna look good for about one day. So what God does is he gives you a hoe that is named grace. And he sends you out into the the lawn. And he says, let's get at this thing. Let's go to the root. Let's pull this dandelion up so it will never come up again. And the grace of God can heal us. And you thought you needed counseling the rest of your life. You thought you needed a pill to go to bed and a pill to get up. You don't. You just need to get this thing rooted out that the enemy put in. If the answer is not as complicated as the devil would have you think. You gave in to darkness. Darkness increased. And it's been undealt with. Let's get to the three myths. Because we got to have this family meeting. Myth number one. Time heals all wounds. Time actually buries wounds. It does not heal them. Only the grace of God heals wounds. Number two, I need someone to be sorry for their sins to forgive them. Friend, and people use Matthew 18, 15, you know, go to your brother in private. And so that has nothing to do with you forgiving them. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, when you stand praying, forgive. Here's the basis of forgiving people. It's not that they're sorry. It's that Jesus died for them and Jesus died for you and Jesus told you to forgive them. That's your basis for forgiving them. The the reason why you go privately to people, one, oftentimes you need to go private instead of gossiping around, either let go of it or go to that person. Find out if they even sinned against you. Find out if they even knew what they were doing. Find out if they even knew you were hurt. Oftentimes you go privately and things get ironed out and there wasn't even a sin that was there. And then if there really is a sin, you go privately to them, not so you can forgive them, but to win them. You're way past you forgiving them. You already forgave them. Now you've got compassion for them and you want them to get out of a sin that's destroying their own life. That's why you go to people privately. Thirdly, if I have truly forgiven, I won't have pain anymore. This is absolutely not true. When you have been wounded, when you've been betrayed, when you have been hurt, you, there's a wound in your soul. An arrow has gotten into your soul. When you choose to forgive, which is an act of your will, the poison comes out. And now the grace of God over time can make you better. But you are very vulnerable while that pain is still there. It's very easy to get re-enslaved. And the devil loves to do this. He will come and tell you, you never forgave. If you had forgiven, you wouldn't feel hurt anymore. That is a lie in Jesus' name. That is a lie. 
You, you forgive, and th- there's a reason why Jesus said daily, daily pray it. Forgive us our trespasses as, as we forgive those. We know it's daily because it's our daily bread. Pray it daily. Why? Because it, we're vulnerable when we're in pain. Jesus can heal you. He can heal you completely so that you can have memories of that thing, and you don't even feel pain. you got a scar there, but you don't feel pain anymore. But until that healing has occurred, you're very vulnerable to get re-enslaved. You need to watch out and exercise your will and obey God. Don't say, I can't forgive. That you are letting yourself off the hook. You need to start saying this. I won't forgive. I choose not to forgive. Okay, now we're talking about whether you want to be a Christian or not. Which is where the issue needs to be. Because if you're a Christian, in view of his mercy, you can choose to forgive people. You can't heal yourself of the wound. He'll do that. He'll do that over time. But you can choose to forgive. And then finally, doing, doing good. And I will just end with this story. So uh, I got permission from Chris Lancer. Chris Lancer and Curtis White were over in India and they were celebrating Pastor Daniel's church. It was, their, it was the 25th anniversary of the church, and, and it was a huge deal, and Chris and Curtis were asked to speak at it, and, and so they went to this thing, just an amazing event, and they're on their way back. They're just filled with the joy of the Lord, and Chris walks past this neighbor of Daniel's, and there is tremendous mourning and weeping. A man has died in this house. The... the, the uh, funeral people are literally taking him away and there's just mourning going on and um chris gets home and he he asks about it and and it turns out this is a muslim family not just regular muslims they're militant muslims they go to the mosque down there it's a and and daniel pastor daniel's tried to reach them in a number of different ways and and chris is just like i just i want i need to do something for them and he said, Dan, Pastor Daniel says, well, I know that they're financially very, very strapped. And it's, it's going to take, um, for the funeral, they're going to have to rent tables and chairs. That's just how this works. You could, you could rent the tables and chairs for them. And Curtis and Chris get together and let, we're doing it. We are doing this. So they just pay for this thing. And so this week they got an email from the pa- Pastor Daniel. He said this. They contacted us, and they said, we need to meet the people that gave this gift. We cannot fathom why somebody would give us this gift that doesn't even know us. And Pastor Daniel says this, you can't meet them because they've already gone back to the States, but you can meet the one who inspired them if you come to church Sunday. And they emailed right back and said, we're coming to church on Sunday. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Could we stand to our feet? If you've been angry since this morning... If you've been angry this week, if you've been angry for four years, if you've been angry at your parents, angry at your spouse, angry at white people, angry at Republicans, angry at Democrats, angry at Muslims, angry, angry, angry. Would you just open your hands like this right now? 
Maybe you're a woman that's been angry at men. Jesus, here we are. You're hurting honest people. Lord, I pray for every single one of us that right now we would take that hole called grace. You're so excited about it. Here's though you will not dig it up for us instead of us. You will only dig it out with us. And so God, we're taking this hole called grace and we are declaring together that the grace of God is more, is more powerful than hatred and anger and bitterness. And we're taking this hoe out to this field called our life. And Father, you know when it went in. You know it went in when we were molested or when we were abused or when we were treated bad or where we were dishonored or where we were just sinned against. Lord, would you take us back even right now to that moment, to that place? And Jesus, right now, we put that hole into the dirt. And we say, Jesus, I forgive this person that sinned against me. I have mercy on them. Because you've had such great mercy on me. Jesus, I just say, I'm sorry. I could have forgiven them way back then, but I didn't. I chose to be angry. I chose to hold on to my anger. Jesus, today I choose to let go of my anger. I choose as an act of my will, as an act of devotion, I choose to forgive. And Jesus, now this is for all of us. Can everybody open their arms? Jesus, we want to be part of the solution. This world is being taken into darkness so quickly and the enemy is using the internet to multiply darkness. Lord, you said where sin abounds, grace is going to abound all the more. That you're going to make a statement of grace, of love, of the power of your great love in and through people just like us. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit. Let the army of God rise up. Lord, overcome everything that is a lie in us and then through us, we pray in Jesus' name.